Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello, and welcome everyone. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. It's been one year since the novel coronavirus called COVID-19 emerged on the global stage. At that time, I invited my friend Jeff Vanderkloot to come on The Dr. Julie Show and share his insights. Jeff connected with the novel Life Form and asked it to tell him about itself. What came through was a list of its top gifts, followed by a powerful message for humanity. It was a poignant gift and a vital message for all with ears to hear. And actually, I should say, I really believe it's a vital message for everyone. And it's time to awaken our ears so we can hear it. One year later, I bring Jeff back to revisit the lessons and wisdom of COVID-19 and the year 2020. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths Open your mind and heart and settle into your essential wholeness. As I introduce our guest, Jeff Vanderkloot is a quiet spiritual teacher, a way shower of enlightened enterprise, and a trusted advisor committed to co-creating a society filled with awakened people, communities, and organizations. And today is part three of a three-part series that we've done three weeks in a row, I encourage you to go back and to listen to the, the first two and check out his longer bio on those um, show pages so you can learn more about Jeff and find his website. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point you in that direction now, but I want to jump into the conversation and so, so delighted to bring you back, Jeff, and to follow up on this. So welcome back. Thank you, Julie. I am just delighted to be here again with you. Mm. Well, I tell you what, when I when I wrote the intro for all with ears to hear, and then when I heard myself say that, I, I like stopped in my tracks and said, oh, wait a minute. This is really good for all of us to hear whether we can hear it or not. And we all need to wake to the wisdom and the gifts that you have brought us here with your message. Um, about the coronavirus from last year, and you've written three different pieces. And Jeff, I have, um, I have two. I have all three of the blogs that you've written in front of me. And one of them, well, two of them, I've literally highlighted several pieces that I think are really good for our listeners to really hear. But let's begin. First, I want to begin with you giving us a synopsis of a year later, what might be moving through you. Then we can get into the gifts more. And then I want to really tap into some of that beautiful languaging and reminders of what the coronavirus is teaching us. So give us a synopsis. What, where are you at one year later? And what wants to come through in your messaging today? Well, thank you. That's a wonderful invitation. So it's been obviously quite a year and a year ago when I was in India and I asked 
the coronavirus, if it was there to have a conversation with and whether there was a message that would be good to share with um, others, with everyone, as you've said. Uh, I received such a beautiful feeling of energy and love. And, and honestly, I was overflowing with gratitude for the coronavirus. And that probably sounded tone deaf to people um, then and, and maybe now. And I want to say I'm, I'm seeing the value of holding the gratitude while also being very sober about the difficulties that people are facing. So I would say a year on, I'm a bit wiser. Uh, I've witnessed uh, the challenges. Um, I have to say, not so much firsthand. It's mostly what I read and friends of friends of friends. But I know that it's been very difficult for millions and millions of people and that millions have perished um, from or with the coronavirus. And honestly, I'm very sad about that. And I wish that it could be otherwise. I wish that humanity could wake up to its essential wholeness and know itself as a collective being, as a, a wise, intelligent, spiritually awake species. And were that the case, I believe we would have had a much gentler journey to this point. Now, I also want to honor that humanity is much more awake now than, than it was, say, 100 years ago. Um, this journey with COVID could have been much more difficult than it has been. Now, it's easy to say, um, and it's sort of theoretical sounding, and maybe we can never know for sure, but there are other viruses that would have taken a much larger toll. So I feel, and I have a great deal of respect for Mother Nature and her intervention in our complex societies, pushing the, the buttons uh, for change, uh, highlighting where there are systemic inequalities, where there is injustice, where there is um, precarity so that people don't have the financial ability to weather this pandemic and, and feed themselves and their families. All of that is incredibly difficult, incredibly painful to watch. And then there is a natural impulse that I, I feel rising in me and I see rising in others to step up and, and care for one another in a way that we know how to do but haven't perhaps done for a long time. So, so I'm witnessing that we are slowly learning the lessons but faster and faster. And I want to honor that in the last year, wonderful initiatives have sprung up, like uh, the website coronavirus.org, and that is K-A-R-U-N-A virus.org. Obviously, that sounds like corona. Karuna is a Sanskrit word that means compassion. And so if you go to this website, you will see 2,500 or more stories of how everyday people are stepping up and taking care of one another and feeding one another and helping out. And it is a beautiful story. It's a love story. And I feel that for all the difficulties of this time, we're going to look back and see that we wrote a love story. And often love stories have painful chapters. So the wiser me can now hold the whole uh, in a way that I maybe didn't know yet a year ago um, and see that because it is the best of times and the worst of times, there is some kind of alchemy that is possible. A transformation is available to us now collectively as a species. And 
And I feel it's inevitable that we are waking up. Inevitable, yes. Thank you, Jeff, for that. You know, it is a painful chapter in what I believe I've been calling this 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 book, this story of conscious evolution, the greatest love story ever told. And we're writing it as we're living it, right? And it is a painful chapter for us. I love how you brought in Mother Nature and and just gently um, wove in the idea of our inequalities and injustice and and how we're really learning to care for one another. So it's a really good place for me to introduce um, the gifts of the virus that you've written by um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to go through them, but I want to just introduce this as conscious evolution itself because number two in your gifts talks about activating networks of cooperation and I just want to presence this for our listeners to put this coronavirus into the story of this greatest love story ever told by understanding humanity's evolution as a species not just the consciousness because we have this consciousness shift that you and I are talking about this this awareness this awakening the the evolution of consciousness is one thing but I want to talk about the evolution of a species that's becoming more conscious of itself as we introduce this Jeff because one of the most important pieces that my friend our friend Elizabeth Satoris talks about as an evolution biologist is that we're moving from our adolescence of a species that's been all about consumption and competition and separation and we we really mastered this idea of our ego and who we be and and we went through this stage of evolution in our youthfulness in our adolescence and now we're transforming we're at this really beautiful part in this this love story of leaping forward into our early adulthood. And, and Elizabeth Satoris describes that time um, on the planet with every species that she's studied, goes through this cycle and literally evolves from young adolescence into young adulthood, which is characterized by cooperative communities that care for all life. Isn't that beautiful, Jeff? Cooperative communities that care for all life. So if we could see ourselves as a species and now talk about the gifts of this virus, we could see how this is an invitation for us to leap into our young adulthood and really exercise the fullest capacity of our our loving, cooperative, super organism that we really are. So thanks for letting me drop that in, Jeff. Um, I didn't know I was going to do that, but I just, that's number two, activating networks of cooperation. So I'm going to invite you to go through these with me and maybe give us an update of where you think we're at with these gifts of the virus. You have six of them. Indeed. Well, and I'll share first how they came to me. So I had the idea that it would be it would be nice, it would be kind even to check in with the virus itself because I heard so much negativity, people in a sense talking behind its back a year ago. And uh, so I reached out to it and 
I just knew that there had to be some gift of the situation because life is always bringing us gifts. And I, I feel and know that every moment is a maximal gift from life. So there had to be gifts. And then I felt this little pressure behind my right ear and there was a sense of connection and something trying to be heard and received. So then I just started to write down what I was hearing and feeling. It came through in a very interesting way. And the number one gift was and continues to be slowing down humanity's frenetic activities. So it's pretty easy to see that we collectively have been rushing around, doing, 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 trying to make more money, trying to make ends meet, trying to make a name for ourselves. That's the ego. That's the young, immature human uh, trying to rise above the rest and compete and prove our worth. And that just led to more and more frantic, I would say, misuse of energy. And so we've ground ourselves down over time and we've weakened our immune systems. And what we really needed, it seems to me, is a, a collective meditation retreat or some time when we can slow down and reflect and pay attention, pay attention to our lives, go out in nature. Even during the lockdown periods, in most places it was allowed to exercise outdoors. And I've heard that's been very beneficial for many of my friends and many people. So slowing down. The second gift that came through, activating networks of cooperation, which you so beautifully unpacked. And I'm grateful to Elizabeth for her, um, her deep and scholarly exposition so that people can understand this is real. It's true that species go through a maturation process and become more cooperative. And we're absolutely in that process now. It's hard to see maybe when we're in the middle of it, but we will be able to look back very soon and see that something has changed in, in the way that we relate to one another and necessity being the mother of invention, we've needed to come together and we're rediscovering that we need one another in order to lead meaningful, fulfilling lives and, and that our survival moreover depends on caring for one another. A species that doesn't learn to cooperate goes extinct. So we're learning, and I do feel we're not on the extinction path. We are waking up, uh, and it's because we're learning to cooperate and share. And one of the most hopeful signs I see is the sharing economy, which has existed for some time, but is really getting an injection of vitality during the pandemic. So the sharing economy is where people who have things share with their neighbors, and where communities realize, well, we don't all need to own a lawnmower or tools. We can create a, a tool library and share, and it's way more efficient. We can share our cars. There are so many ways that we can cooperate, and it's happening. The third gift is uh, spreading helpful DNA. Now, biologists will know far better than, than I do um, how viruses function, and one of the uh, activities of viruses is to move DNA around. And I had a knowing that uh, this is ultimately helpful. It's not... Um, uh, malicious manipulation of our uh, genetic material that life has infinite wisdom and knows exactly what's needed to prepare humanity for what's coming. So we're getting an upgrade genetically and in other ways. Again, I'm not an expert, but I have talked with people who are, and this seems to be true. And then the fourth gift is upgrading humanity's immune system, which is related to the third gift. Uh, but the immune system is 
complex and multi-layered. There's even a spiritual component of that. And in so many ways, we're being taught, we're being trained, and our, our bodies and our, our souls are getting the information needed in order to respond to the changing environment in ways that keep us healthy and whole. And uh, we get negative feedback as well as positive feedback. And uh, some of the struggles right now are, are the negative feedback, are, are the tough love, but it's all part of the training process for our collective immune system. And then the fifth gift, creating the conditions for peace and well-being. This is maybe a bit more abstract, but somehow the pressure, the evolutionary pressure of these times and the catalyst of the virus and the, uh, the negative feedback are, are nudging us to make changes in how we uh, relate to one another uh, in the, the structures of society. We can see very clearly now that the politics, the economics, um, and other aspects of society don't really work very well. They're not fair. They're not just. They're not even working well for the people who, who seem to be on top, frankly, because depression is rampant uh, in every socioeconomic bracket. And the sixth gift, saving lives, especially over the long term, by strengthening the web of life. All of this is strengthening us collectively. And I wish that the individual experience could could be one of of joy and um, anticipation of the good things that are coming. But we are going through an initiation. We're going through an, an evolutionary knothole, you could say. And it feels like we're, we're constricted, we're certainly challenged. But before long, before long, we will emerge much stronger. So let me now issue an update, if you will, a kind of report card on how we're doing in terms of receiving the gifts. If the novel coronavirus and its variants are offering us these gifts, to what extent are we opening our hearts and actually receiving them and then making the changes that are necessary? So let me start with the first gift and say that slowing down humanity's frenetic activities, I get intuitively that uh, we've received this gift 61%. So we have a ways to go. And a conscious response would be to say, oh, you mean if I were to slow down, take more time to reflect, actually go on a meditation retreat or go for more walks in nature, that I would receive the gifts and we would receive the gifts of this time more fully? Yeah, we would do it. Um, so hopefully this uh, conversation can encourage people in a gentle and loving way to, to try the experiment of slowing down even further. So 61% could quickly go to 100% on an individual level and, and collectively. The second gift, the activating networks of cooperation. Again, and I get that we have received that gift, this gift, 62%. So we're doing pretty well. We could go to 100 very quickly if we had the collective will and awareness that this is what's needed and decide to run the experiment. What happens if we cooperate even more? What happens if we if we learn more about the sharing economy and, and try it out in our neighborhoods and communities. It really works. So even though I say 62% and it sounds like we have a long way to go to 100, with consciousness, which is the great accelerator, we could get there very quickly. Now, spreading helpful human DNA, the third gift I get, we have received that to the extent of 96%. And this is because we don't really need to do much consciously. The virus is doing it. Life is doing it. It's for our benefit, again, 
And that is largely complete, interestingly. So that might be good news in terms of how soon the pandemic might abate. And yet I have a knowing that until we consciously receive these gifts and make the changes to our societies, either the coronavirus, its variants, or some other form of um, natural intervention in human society will continue to pressure us to make those changes. Now, upgrading humanity's immune system, I get we've received that gift 82%. So we're doing pretty well there. Um, and that's because the DNA component, the biological component is, is happening more or less automatically. And as I said, there's more to our collective immune system than the biology. There's the spiritual component as well. And um, there are the structures of society and taking care of ourselves and not polluting the air and, and cleaning up our environment generally. All of that's needed. But somehow I get we're, we're doing pretty well uh, with upgrading our immune system. So hopefully that will result soon in reduced mortality. Um, hopefully we don't need to die to get the message. I, I really, <laughs> that's not my favorite part of this pandemic, my goodness. Um, so my hands are together praying that uh, soon we can emerge from the worst of it. Now, creating the conditions for peace and well-being, this is where we have the most work to do because this is where our conscious participation is the most required. And I get where at 2%. So the gift is being offered to us, hey, here's what you need to do to create the conditions for peace and well-being. Now, we collectively haven't taken those steps. And I would say, because we have been in so much fear and even denial of um, the transformation that's required of us, we, we have yet to step into this culture of peace and well-being that will emerge and will be our experience as we mature as a species. Now. Because we're at 2%, the feeling I get is there's been this kind of holding back. There's this pressure building behind the dam of our collective ego, and that's about to break. And I don't see an ugly break, breaking of the dam and flooding of the plains and further loss of life. I see that when our collective ego cracks open, that we will be directly connected with our hearts and our sense of love and compassion uh, in a way that it becomes blindingly obvious that the right thing to do, the natural thing to do, and the economically advantageous thing to do is to be loving and kind towards one another, which creates the conditions for peace and well-being. So this one could accelerate very quickly, and this could be how we notice that we've really uh, made an evolutionary leap as a species, because suddenly our natural inclination is to be peaceful rather than warlike, and we'll be prioritizing individual and collective well-being rather than a financial bottom line. Now, the sixth gift, saving lives, especially over the long term, by strengthening the web of life. Here I get we're at 21%. And this one is sort of um, a mixture of the other gifts, I would say. When we've slowed down and, and experienced our, um, our inner wholeness, for instance, and we've learned to cooperate and we're prioritizing peace and well-being. Yes, that is all strengthening the web of life. So that 21% will leap forward, especially as we decide to create the conditions for peace and well-being and our collective ego cracks open. I can check back in six months, say, and see how we're doing. It'll be really fun. Um, so this report card is, is actually uh, just a temporary snapshot of a process that I feel is healthy and um, 
Uh, we, we are doing it, but we can do it more consciously. Thank you, Jeff. I just want to pause and extend so much gratitude for you for listening so um, carefully and connectedly that you're bringing through this wisdom on behalf of all of us. And I do believe that these are gifts not only for our personal and planetary healing, but our, our cultural healing as well, that this is for our species, but it's for every species on this planet that that we literally steward in this this experience we're calling life right now. So this is a perfect time for us to take a break, and we're going to do that. When we come back, I'm going to bring us, Jeff, right back to creating the conditions for peace and well-being, and we can muse into some of the beautiful themes that are in your blogs, because there's a prescription right here, right now, of how we can do that. So much gratitude to you, Jeff. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, so much more on how you can intimately be involved in this healing capacity of coronavirus and what it says for all life. We'll be right back. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I invite you to be a more conscious, courageous, and compassionate co-creator of the beautiful, healthy world we depend on. Come work with me. There's lots of ways you can do that. You can check out those opportunities at juliecrawl.com, as well as goodofthewhole.com. Org. I look forward to all of your messages and your feedback on these shows. Um, thank you. My weekly newsletter actually has just been um, such a fun, accelerated process recently because so many of you are re- reaching out and saying thank you and, and talking about how these guests have affected you in a positive way. So thank you for that feedback. I want to create meaningful content here for you, that meaningful content that can be inspiration and awakening for so many. So thank you for that. Today, I have Jeff Vanderkloot with us on the show. You can find out all of Jeff's work at jeffvanderkloot.com. And the blogs that we're talking about, these messages that we're talking about are right there on the website. So I'm going to spell it out for you so you can Listen to the rest of the show and then go to jeffvanderkloot.com and read these blogs in their entirety. So to do that, it's Jeff, J-E-F-F, and then Vanderkloot, V-A-N-D-E-R-C-L-U-T-E.com. If you didn't write it down, go to the show page and the link will be right there for you. So Jeff, welcome back to the second half. Thank you, Julie. Yeah, and you really gave us so much already that I feel um, just really contented in this idea that life is lifing 
through the coronavirus that life itself mm-hmm. knows what it is doing. And I, for one, I'm going to be more conscious about these gifts, Jeff, to just to be honest. Um, have I really slowed down? No, not really. And I live in a rural area where literally the virus hasn't shut us down as much as other places. So I'm going to, I'm going to work on the slowing down piece personally for myself and um, just continue to watch how I can facilitate these. But number five is near and dear to my heart, creating the conditions for peace and well-being. And I often also, I want to add in here, which I think you'd say, oh yeah, it's the same thing. Creating the conditions for whole systems health and healing. That's what this is to me. Yes, I heard that big yes. Yes, this is what this is. is How do we create the conditions for peace and well-being? How do we create the conditions for whole systems health and healing? With this focus, we can do anything. And so in your message, um, one of the ideas that you drop in very early on is that really that this virus brings a closure to the inharmonious ways of being that that we've been in and that it's a rebalancing agent for us to really look at ourselves. I wonder if you just want to speak a little bit about the inharmonious ways of being that are causing harm to all of us and the web of life. Well, there are so many examples. Um, it's not harmonious to be polluting the oceans. When plastic was introduced, we, we did not foresee that result. However, as humans have become more numerous and as we've become much more reliant on plastic for practically everything in life, um, the um, the disharmony, the um, I want to say the the cacophony has has become very obvious. Uh, you know, we've got oceans with more plastic than fish, so so clearly that needs to change. Um, cutting down rainforests uh, for people who don't live near them seems like an abstraction, and it's very far away, and and maybe it doesn't seem to affect us. However, when the rainforests are the lungs of the earth, and they're on fire, and they're not there anymore. Um, the air that we breathe or can't breathe as well very much affects us. So so the, the lack of harmony that we've created takes time to show up in these vast planetary systems. But now that there are about 8 billion of us, um, they're unavoidable. So we need to end this chapter of unconscious uh, desecration of the natural world of our habitat and the habitat for all beings who are here that we are deeply interconnected with, this chapter must end. And there are much more harmonious ways of being that arise naturally when we're aware of the inherent wholeness and connectivity that links us all. We wouldn't do things that um, make air impossible to breathe. We wouldn't do things that uh, kill the bees which pollinate our crops. So there's enlightened self-interest, but also as our sense of that deep connectivity increases and our our knowing of of oneness really with the whole web of life uh, grows and grows, then killing the bees is obviously killing ourselves. And that's unacceptable. So I see very quickly we're going to snap out of this trance of um, uh, being so fixated on a limited view of what the good life looks like. Like the good life is a good life for all. Mm. 
I'm smiling because our state's logo is Nebraska, the good life. <laughs> and there's, uh-huh. a, there's a lot of good in, in I, I think, because we live in a slower pace. You know, we do appreciate so much about life. I could go on and on. But as humanity, there's so many examples here. So I want to... Um, I'm going to read a phrase that you wrote, and it to me it speaks to these conditions, creating the conditions for peace, well-being, whole systems, health, is really our shift in consciousness into an understanding that we are one planetary superorganism. And so as we're ending these chapters of separation, we're waking to... Um, the greater and greater and greater inherent wholeness and connectivity that's innate. It's just a part of who we be. So you talked about the virus increasing the intelligence of the superorganism. Um, you know, and this is who we are as a species of the whole. So as perhaps you want to say a bit about being a superorganism, um, our guests have heard me speak of that term a lot lately in the last two or three years. But if you want to then expand into increasing intelligence of the superorganism, I think this is an, imp- an important piece on creating the conditions for whole systems health and healing and our well-being and peace. Because literally, when we see ourselves as the superorganism, that intelligence is teaching us how to be healthy. So, Jeff, what do you want to say about increasing the intelligence of the superorganism? Yes. Well, let me start with an individual human body, which consists of approximately 100 trillion cells. These 100 trillion or so cells are cooperating. And in working together, we have different organs that can fulfill their functions. And we can have the higher level functionings that we, functioning of, of well, that we think of as being the human part, right? But the human is the whole system. We can't be human without all of the organs and the cells doing their thing. So if the cells are not cooperating, if they're fighting with one another, that could take many pathological forms, cancer being one of them, we will not live very long. And that's not intelligent behavior for our body to be fighting with itself. Now think of the species as a whole. We've got approximately 8 billion humans on the planet. In as much as we're fighting with one another, we don't know how to cooperate. Uh, We're not able to form the organs of a healthy, collective human uh, superorganism, which is to say this congregation, this communion or fellowship of beings who are uh, on the same page, on the same team, working towards the same higher purpose. So as we learn to cooperate, of necessity, it will happen, it is happening, then we become collectively much more intelligent because um, all the energy that went into fighting is available for creating and creating the new uh, structures of society, the new um, forms of economy that are inclusive and just, that don't leave people behind, but still incentivize innovation. We can have it all, but we need to be more conscious to have our cake and eat it too. So this highly intelligent species, now we're talking about species-level cognition, has the capacity as well to clean up the oceans, to reforest the planet, to uh, save various species. 
bees, for instance, that I mentioned earlier, and, and so much more. The wicked problems of our times that seem absolutely intractable and unsolvable at the current level of consciousness can be easily solved through mass cooperation when we can see through collective eyes very clearly that the planet is in trouble, that it needs us. Climate change, I haven't mentioned yet, uh, is another example. We could make certain changes that uh, reverse climate change within the next 40 or 50 years. We would have to work together. Right now, it's hard to see that happening. However, the shift in consciousness, the evolution in our collective species consciousness um, is not a linear process. And when that jump happens, it will happen very quickly. It won't happen overnight, but from an evolutionary perspective, it might seem to. So by the end of the decade, I foresee that we will collectively be working in ways that are unprecedented. In fact, creating the uh, COVID vaccines um, happened at an unprecedented pace. So many vaccines were delivered in much less than the usual timeline for uh, producing and testing and demonstrating the, the safety and efficacy of vaccines. Now, vaccines are controversial, I realize, um, and we're going to learn a whole lot uh, in this process. But so far, it seems to be going well. So this possibility of mobilizing our collective genius is already arising. And um, we're going to see our own brilliance and say, hey, we can do this again. Mm. So, Jeff, I just want to um, give you an opportunity to um, maybe presence the other side of this same coin. When we're talking about biology and being a super organism, um, we, we talk about one piece and we've been in this consciousness of separation, believing that we're separate. And yet you write in the coronavirus acknowledged that we're divine incarnations. Like we are capable of so much beauty and goodness and compassion and understanding and so much because we're the embodiment of the divine. We're moving beyond the ego, but I just want to presence this idea of divinity, of the sacred, so that this isn't just about biology of the superorganism, but an understanding in um, life itself, right? The, the impulse of creation creating through us, the life lifing through us. So what, do you, what can you add about our divine incarnation? Our divine incarnation, our divine embodiment. So we are living expressions of that infinite, boundless intelligence and love. And over time, the process produces higher orders of complexity and more diversity. Honestly, for us to embrace our diversity is one of the gifts as well of the coronavirus, which isn't listed explicitly, but is very much um, part of multiple gifts that are. So, yes, we, we produce more and more ways of expressing divine love and giving love to one another, knowing ourselves as having supreme value, each being, therefore being divine, has supreme value. So what happens when we relate to one another as um, all important and all beautiful? And it's just a totally different way of, of seeing and, and knowing one another. There's a wonderful uh, expression, I believe, from maybe Mayan, in Lakesh, 
um, you are another me, uh, and knowing our oneness, uh, that becomes possible when we open to the divinity of our nature, which we all share. So it will it will restructure our societies to know that uh, even even our politics is divine. Honestly, right now it doesn't look that way, and we have a ways to go. But but we are how to say it? I mean, we are we are the divine waking up in form, and. It may be, it seems to be the case that we go through stages and uh, stages of maturity that don't ultimately feel great. Like adolescence doesn't feel great. I don't know a lot of happy teenagers and I wish that weren't so, but maybe at this stage of the journey, life lifing um, and growing up has has its warts, has its awkwardness. We're we're at an as a divine species. We're at an awkward stage, but that's part of what uh, propels us forward into maturity. There's a wonderful expression: "No mud, no lotus." So the beautiful lotus flower, which sits on top of the pond, has a root that goes down into the mud. And so, what we're experiencing during these times that we don't love, that we or we don't prefer, uh, can be thought of as the mud. And this mud actually contains a lot of nutrients. So all the shadowy, seemingly non-divine stuff actually um, is feeding us and feeding our growth. So that soon, again, I feel this decade, more and more of us, this doesn't need to be a dogma, will see, wow, our true nature is this incredibly beautiful being that we might call divine or God or source or creator. And it becomes our greatest joy to express the love of our source, of the universe, and to give that love to one another. I mean, just imagine even 100 million people living that way. That's enough to change the world. And then when we collectively see, when the superorganism sees, hey, this works better, well, we'll have billions of people uh, treating one another as divine beings. I love that. It, it Which brings me... It brings me really fully into the invitation and the power of of peace here as the medicine of really creating the conditions for peace. I want to I want to shift to here because the state of peace really enables us to experience that unity. Right? It it helps us to feel our oneness and this idea of our oneness and peace becomes this unifying principle that we can organize life around and really co-design a new world based on this intelligence of peace, this intelligence of, of unity and wholeness. If unity is the same as wholeness, it naturally takes us into whole systems health and healing. So can you expand, Jeff? I, 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 I'm curious what your prescription would be for us if we are creating or co-creating the conditions for peace right now what would be your priorities that's a great question and i just have to listen and come from the deep listening to see what's available well i come back to the first gift which is slowing down and and then i see 
that let's say 85% of human activity and energy expended is actually wasted. Wasted. 85% of our energy, our money, our time is being wasted on unnecessary activities, particularly fighting one another, particularly competing with one another, which is a form, can be a form of violence when it's unconscious. Now, there's a form of competition, which we could call co-opetition, where we're striving together for the betterment of humankind and the world. That's, that's actually a healthy competition. But as we've practiced competition in our societies, not healthy, actually a form of violence. You know, wanting to crush your competitor in business is violent. I, I can't currently see it any other way. So when we slow down and we de-energize these patterns and we, we start to be able to see other ways of being and relating, and we also start to see that, hey, a lot of the um, wasted energy was going out the door in, in ways that, that aren't very important. And what's really important is family. And what's really important is being able to take time to walk in nature and, and exercise and practice, uh, practice love in various ways because it feels great. It feels so good. That's what feels good. Competition ultimately in the, the unconscious form at least doesn't feel good. So creating the conditions for peace for me has more to do with uh, ceasing the activities that, that impede the natural expression of life, which is cooperative and peaceful. So that first gift to me is the most important. And as we practice a spaciousness, uh, into that space comes the inspiration. Life will tell us what to do and how to be. We don't have to figure it out with our minds completely. In fact, I would say part of this slowing down is, is slowing down the, the mind chatter. We need maybe 10% as much mental activity as has been common on the planet in order to build the new systems and find our way collectively. Mm -mm. That's brilliant. You know, Jeff, when our physical body going back into separation and um, our medical model right now, what we know about creating the conditions for health when we are sick, when we have an injury, a wound, or a, a, a fracture, the number one prescription is rest. And so as you're inviting us into this space of, of slowing down, I think that that's, there's so much wisdom there. So the other piece that um, I really appreciate a metaphor that you wrote about. So when we're talking about this prescription for, for peace, for really creating the conditions for peace and well-being, you use the metaphor of a keyboard. And it's a really brilliant, simple idea that helps us understand how we're working together as that super organism. Do you want to share more about that? Right. Well, again, starting with the individual, each of us has our gifts and capacities and other people we know will be brilliant in other ways. And it's really helpful when we can stop trying to compete with one another. If we can really embody our own gifts, uh, that will take us a long, long way. Now imagine that humans 
who have actualized their gifts and released the idea that they need to be the best in every possible way come together, well, that forms uh, a whole spectrum of capacity. And if you think of each individual as having a few keys that they can play, when you bring all of the individuals together in a harmonious way, you have the full keyboard. A piano has 88 keys. Humanity has, I see it, um, an infinite number of keys. We haven't even begun to actualize our collective capacity to make beautiful divine music. But we are moving in that direction. And every step individually towards owning our true gifts, surrendering the need to fight with others to prove our worth, allowing them, therefore, to express their true gifts, and then seeing what music we can make together. Mm. It is happening. It's happening at the grassroots level. It's happening, uh, I would say, in certain countries more than others. I'm really intrigued by what's happening in New Zealand. That's one of the first places on Earth where the sun rises, and that may be where the consciousness is rising first as well. So, um, yeah, we're going to make some beautiful music. Beautiful. So one piece that might be counterintuitive to our listeners here today that you mentioned, um, I want to just give you a moment to speak to this because it's, I think, encouraging if we can hear this message in a different light. You talk about virtual communication technologies. And most people are like, we've had to move to online meetings. We have to sit in Zoom rooms. We're not having physical contact, sitting in presence with one another. There's just, you know, there's this whole shift in how we're doing business, how we're doing relationships on the planet with coronavirus. And yet the wisdom that's come through is that literally, I'm going to let you talk about this, but that this is an opportunity for us, that this virtual communication technology is actually a part of our evolutionary leap. Can you speak to that? Yes. Well, it's another example of um, necessity being the mother of invention. Zoom has existed for almost a decade, but it uh, really uh, came into our collective awareness when we needed more ways to uh, connect and collaborate, when people had to start working at home, for instance, and teams needed to find ways to uh, work together even though they were no longer in the same office. And so market forces, actually, that's really interesting, the phrase that came to me, market forces are encouraging us to use technology and find more skillful ways of using technology and develop better and better technologies that connect us. And what we're discovering through spending countless hours on Zoom and the ex- the experience of Zoom fatigue, it's a real thing, uh, is we need ways to connect through technology that also allows us to, um, to connect at the level of the heart. So it's not just technologies that facilitate thinking and um, cognitive activities, but ways that facilitate our sense of connection and our ability to share our love, as I keep saying. So I think about families uh, who have been separated by the pandemic uh, using Zoom and FaceTime and um, other other tools to uh, to celebrate birthdays 
and anniversaries and you know everything you can think of it's happening on zoom and on one level it's not as satisfying uh, as being together physically because we are significantly physical beings even if we're also metaphysical even if we're also spiritual and and subtle and all of that but um what i've learned is that through these virtual interactions I am able to feel connected at a heart level to people and have, in some cases, even deeper conversations. Um, and for sure, um, we're benefiting from the sense of the world uh, shrinking, that everyone, no matter where you are in the world, um, can theoretically and quite easily connect with just about anyone else anywhere else in the world. So the global family is now available to us. And my last point on this is there's something about the, maybe the energetics of these virtual technologies, but it's allowing us to discover additional senses and additional um, capacities beyond the five senses and beyond the individual thinking mind. There's something emerging. I can't quite say exactly because it's still emerging, but but if there are five senses that are commonly recognized uh, for humans, my sense is as we dance with these virtual technologies and, and develop better systems that connect us, that also allow us to connect energetically, we might have, let's say, 25 senses that we can name. Um, so that's another development of the pandemic, which is quite unexpected, quite counterintuitive, and will take some time to fully see. Wow. The... The potential of that is exciting to even to just imagine 25 senses that we can label and and that we can experience. And it, a lot of that is, I think, our super organism sensory gifts, you know, that we're developing that we literally can connect in that way. Okay, I have so much I would love to talk to you about, Jeff, but we have about two minutes for you. Um, if you want to just give us a, a wrap-up, is there anything more that you wanted to say? Is there anything in two minutes or so that can help our listeners really navigate all this change in 2021 induced by the coronavirus and so much more? Yes. Well, if we boil all of this down and probably oversimplify a bit. There is a great shift from living primarily in a fearful state to living in a more, much more liberated state where we are experiencing and expressing our loving and whole nature. One of the gifts that also isn't listed in my list of six, uh, one of the gifts of the coronavirus is showing us just how much fear has been present in our system. And I say has been because already that is shifting. It's like the big balloon filled with all the fearful energy is, is losing air quickly. Um, so we're going through this collective process of releasing the fear by experiencing it because in order to metabolize the fearful energy, we need to be with it and not run away from it. And the pandemic, because it's global, has ensured that we cannot run away. But now let's shift our emphasis to the love, the networks of support, 
uh, the increasing heart connections, including through virtual technologies, oddly enough. Um, we're, our center of being, our center of mass, if you will, is moving very quickly into love. And the news headlines, the story, the, the many narratives that are flying around um, the airwaves right now are going to shift as well. And we're going to hear the story of love. We're going to hear the call of love, the invitation to step more fully into love. And we will see and know and experience and embody the love story that is our collective evolution catalyzed by the coronavirus and Mother Nature. Beautiful. And her infinite compassion. Thank you so much. Yeah, infinite compassion. Thank you for bringing your message with us or to us here today. And listeners, I want to leave you with the words of Jeff. There has never been a more auspicious time for you to awaken as a species. The circumstances of your world have rendered it all but impossible to remain asleep to the vaster implications of your being. Wake up now, dear ones, to the knowledge that we inhabit one indivisible field of aliveness. We are life. You are life. The fulfillment of of this initial recognition is the healed world. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.